The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Warehouses, the mayoral election, and a new approach to downtown. Lead producer Emily Means joins me to round up the biggest stories in our little city. It's Friday, March 10th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Emily means the legislative session is over, which means we are now in control of our own destinies. And we can all breathe a sigh of relief, I guess. And in case you blinked and missed it, we did a two-parter this week recapping everything the legislature did to impact the lives of Salt Lakers from the Great Salt Lake to a little news about the gondola, the proposed gondola up Little Cottonwood Canyon to housing, homelessness, you name it. So go back and give that a listen if you haven't, because in just... 40 minutes total, you can get caught up on 45 days worth of work. (laughs) What a great deal, Allie. You know what? And if you call in the next 10 minutes, we'll throw in three interviews with our mayoral candidates. (laughs) And a sticker. And a sticker. Okay. Before we get into new news this week, Em, I want to give a little bit of an update. We'll call this Update Corner because there are two stories that we talked about last week that I've got new news to pile on two about them. One is we, I think actually broke the story last week that the West Wendover City Council, which is, if you're not interested in cheap liquor or um, non-medical cannabis, then maybe you've never been to West Wendover or gambling. But if you like any of those three things, then you've definitely taken a road trip an hour and 45 minutes west of Salt Lake City to West Wendover, where... A Planned Parenthood from California was hoping to get a conditional use permit to build an abortion clinic on the border of Utah and Nevada, of course, assuming that abortion is going to get a heck of a lot harder to access in this state, probably as soon as this year. Of course, important to note, right now in Utah, abortion is legal and safe up to 18 weeks and accessible. So the West Wendover City Council was hearing this conditional use permit request on Tuesday evening. And... The council said no, no permit, no abortion clinic. But then the mayor said no and vetoed them. So where does that put things? Uh, A bit of a sticky wicket because, of course, councils don't like being vetoed by mayors. Um, And so basically, as I understand it now, this conditional use permit is kind of back at square one. Which is never great for planning decisions like it takes a really long time to uh, to make your way through a city's land use processes. Yeah, it's a lot of red tape. So we'll see where this story goes from here. Of course, we will keep you updated if there is new news. But I did want to share that because I know a lot of people heard that on our show last week and were like, oh, my God, what's the scoop? And then the other thing I want to give an update on that you and I talked about last week, Emily, is... 
three members of the Salt Lake County Council voting against granting $61,000 to Salt Lake City to resettle Afghan refugees, which important to note that did pass because there's seven members of the Salt Lake County Council and four of them voted for it. But it was such a strange choice, right? Because like even the governor, didn't Governor Cox write a letter being like, oh, yes, he did. Yeah, we would like as many Afghan refugees as possible in this state. Right. This had us scratching our heads for sure. And especially because they didn't provide yeah. any reason for their vote. It was I was really surprised by how quickly that item was heard, voted on, and then uh, we were out the door. Well, I got some clarity. So before you and I talked last Friday, I, of course, emailed all three of these council members, council member Sheldon Stewart, Dave Alvord, and Dia Theodore. And I said, you know, hey, press request. Just curious why you all took this vote because you didn't give a statement. So I don't have anything I can quote you on to understand why you took this vote. And I got a response from one of those council members this week, Dia Theodore. And she told me, I'm going to partially quote here. In the beginning, she was like, Salt Lake County has always been a welcoming place for refugees. I support the county's efforts to assist refugees. Kind of laid out that generally like her vote was not against Afghan refugees in her mind, right? But then she said, and here's a quote, I voted against spending these after I learned that these funds came from a grant from a foundation controlled by George Soros. I'm concerned that this fact was not adequately disclosed to the council when we were asked to accept these funds. In the same meeting, I requested that the administration supply the council with more information about the source of grant funds and the requirements placed in the county when we accept any private funding. I think a lot of people would probably call that um, an uh, anti-Semitic dog whistle, mentioning George Soros as a reason for not approving funding that will help refugees in your community. Also, I did want to say last week I was questioning whether this funding was federal funding that the county had already received. We looked at the staff report and yes, like this funding was coming from this particular foundation, which was founded by a uh, billionaire philanthropist, George Soros. But if you don't know anything about him, he's like a full on boogeyman for right wing conspiracy theorists. So it was quite shocking to see that from one of our locally elected officials. Right. Yeah. The foundation is the Open Society Foundation. And I think the question that I think this sort of raises for some people is like, well, who do you accept funds from and why? Right. Like, do you take the money even if you fundamentally disagree with someone? Now, we can't have that conversation without the important context that you brought up, Emily, which is that this person's name is used as a political dog whistle. I, I saw someone comment and they were like, well, if this money was from the Koch brothers, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like Democrats would be voting against using these funds. And I'm like, I don't know. The Koch brothers basically are the sole funders of Smithsonian museums, and I go to those every chance that I get. So I don't think that that argument necessarily holds water. And councils have work sessions before they take these kinds of votes. So usually by the time the meeting is happening, um, everyone kind of knows how the vote is going to go on the council, which means that these council members knew that this funding was going to pass. They chose to vote against it in order clearly to send some sort of a message is my analysis. And so that message is we don't want money from this boogeyman. And, you know, they said the quiet part out loud. 
So there it is. is. Now we know. Now we know why at least one of them took that vote. We can't assume (laughs) that Council Member Theodore is speaking for the other two members, though they have not replied to my request. So, yeah, I appreciate that Council Member Theodore responded to our request. I just think, you know, if that's the stance you're going to take, make the comment during the vote, you know, get it on the record. Right. Get it on the record so that the public can hear it during the time in which they're supposed to hear it, not so that I have to send a follow-up email that you respond to a week later. Speaking of councils, the Salt Lake City Council met this week and I believe had a very, very long meeting. There were like three hours of public comment at this meeting. And I saw a bunch of tweets that were like, if there was any question whether Parks and Rec is a documentary or not, just watch the Salt Lake City Council meeting. And I got to tell you, that's actually Uh one of my favorite things about local government meetings is how much it reminds me of Parks and Rec. But anyway, Salt Lake City Council met to discuss a wide variety of topics, including the North Point Small Area Plan. Did you know about this, Allie? Have you ever heard about this before this this week? Not once. Me neither. And North Point Small Area Plan, to me... You know, sometimes your brain makes these like weird connections and you look at something and it just it is what it is for you. And it's because of your life experience. Every time I see this written out, my brain says the North Point small area rodent. (laughs) My brain says North Point small area plan. (laughs) I'm like, woof. Could we have slapped a sexy name on this just to, like, pique people's interest? Yeah. So let me tell you about this plan. Uh, Basically, it would create a warehouse district in Salt Lake's North Point area, which is between the Salt Lake City International Airport and the city's northern boundary. Carter Williams from KSL had a really great write-up on this in anticipation of this meeting. Uh, Right now, the area is mostly zoned for agricultural uses, uh, and there all there are some people who currently live there, but businesses have shown that they want to build warehouses and distribution centers there. So this is something that has environmental advocates up in arms. They're really worried about the Great Salt Lake wetlands, which are nearby. They're worried about air quality, and um, the mayor. Actually, Mayor Mendenhall also sent a letter to the Salt Lake City Council asking them to limit the distribution that that will be allowed there. You know, she's an air quality advocate as well. So I'm sure that that's kind of setting off alarm bells in her head. But this was interesting to me because I just figured this would be included in the inland port area. You know, we always talk about the northwest quadrant as where the the inland port will be located, which is basically a giant, will be a giant distribution hub. So I guess it kind of makes sense. This is a little bit north, as I understand it. Like the inland port is west of the airport, and this is west and north. So it it kind of would put a warehouse hat on the inland port. (laughs) Very fashionable. (laughs) The thing that I think is really interesting about this conversation that, again, like you said, activists have brought up specifically Save Our Great Salt Lake and Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment is like, okay, the inland port already would create a district just a little bit south of here that is sort of, as we say in journalism, TK to come, that would offer 152 million square feet of warehouse development. 
Do we really need to extend that? Do we really need more warehouse development? And do we really need it next to wetlands and a dying and drying Great Salt Lake? Like, can we just pause on this and have a little bit more of an assessment before we move forward with granting this? And frankly, like, kind of a valid question from the apparently more than 60 people who showed up and spoke at this meeting on Tuesday about this. Because, you know, when we think about offering public subsidies and incentives to these developers in the first place, um, we're well within our right to ask these kinds of questions. The other thing that comes up a lot when we talk about the Inland Port is this question that I'm honestly really interested in, which is, are warehouse jobs good jobs? Like if the big case for this kind of development, this kind of warehouse development is job creation and economic stimulus, then I think we should talk about whether or not warehouse jobs are good jobs because historically they're low paying, they're grueling, um, they're, it seems like some of the oversight is like mm-hmm. weird and mm-hmm. poorly enforced. So I think that's also a question worth asking when we think about where we're directing public funds to development, which, look, we love seeing business growth in our city, like to match population growth. But where and why and how? I think that there is some disagreement on the city council that kind of hinges on that, too. Well, we have a lot of more progressive leaning people on the council. Um, I'm sure they really understand that environmental argument. What I think we're hearing from council member Victoria Petro Eschler is that there is a need for more economic development in that area. You know, like the residents who live there, maybe they would like access to jobs that are closer to home. And I mean, I think you're exactly right. Like, are these the jobs that we want there? I was thinking about that and I was like, well, what other jobs could we put there? Like, what are some natural fits in that area? And I don't know. Like, I, I, I haven't Do even I been like out to economist? the North Point area. <laughs> and you're not an economist. I'm not an economist. It's not our job to create jobs. Um, but yeah, I, I am no. really curious about what the residents think. What would they like to see in their neighborhood? Well, Basically, what the council decided on Tuesday to put a bow on this is to kick the can down the road, which is often what happens when 60 people show up to a public comment session. So we will hear more from them on this. It feels like they're going back to the drawing board a little bit. They meet every week, so the news could come fast. The news could come slow. Something the council did finally decide on. Rank choice voting. Yes, they did. It's happening, folks. That is how we will be electing our even-numbered city council seats and our mayor this fall. One ballot, one day, (laughs) 200,000 residents, ranked choice voting. What could go wrong? Um, Yeah, we're doing it live, buddy. So what this means is there will be no primary And I don't know, Allie, for us as journalists, you know, media covering these races, it's kind of weird because that means there's nothing until November, until the November general election. You know, there's nothing to kind of like gear up Mm -hmm. for and be like, okay, we've got this many candidates right now. Who's going to make it through? It's kind of weird territory for us to be in. You know? Yeah. It's kind of eerie because, well, ranked choice voting is a little bit of a rodeo. And basically, for anyone who isn't familiar with ranked choice voting, the way that it works is you get a ballot. It lists all the candidates. And instead of picking one, you rank 
from first to last your preference, your faves, right? So when they do the first count, if everyone, if an overwhelming majority of people have the same number one choice for mayor, then that's the mayor. But if it's kind of split, then they remove the bottom person and they take the second choice from the other people's whatever and they kind of like move it around. Basically, what kind of outcome this can lead to that makes it a little bit of a looser canon than having a primary is it's a little bit harder to predict the outcome of a mayoral race because everyone's second favorite candidate could win, right? Like, basically, by being the whole city's second favorite choice, you could win if there are two sort of core candidates that are divisive or evenly split. Right. The idea is we're not picking, as we've heard in recent elections, the better of two bad candidates, you know, and hopefully we don't have any bad candidates. It'd be great to be flush with wonderful choices, you know, (laughs) we would be excited for that. But yeah, here we go. Ranked choice voting, y'all. Now they're going to have to run a pretty thorough communications campaign to make sure people know how to rank choice vote. Because you think about those little slips that come in your ballot that are bright yellow that are like, here's how to fill in the bubble. And it's like, (laughs) this is going to be a lot more complicated than that. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants, but the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments, so if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. And they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. One more big city announcement that we got this week that I'm really excited about. I think these things are in tandem. I think they're being they were being clever in releasing these two bits of news together. So 
Salt Lake City officially exploring something that we have on this show asked for, Open Streets Forever, which is basically taking the summer Open Streets program where Main Street from South Temple to 400 South is closed. It becomes pedestrian only on Historically, it's been Friday, Saturday. Last summer, they did it Thursday through Sunday, which was really cool because all those bars and restaurants could do like Sunday, fun day, day events. Um, Yeah, they close it down. They make it pedestrian only. And a lot of people asked last summer, like, guys, why can't we just do this forever? Like, let's just close Main Street. Like, let's just make it pedestrian. Fewer cars are always better, I think, in our public spaces. Right. And now the city is exploring it. They're actually hiring a consultant to look at what it would take to get that done. And they are accepting feedback from businesses and they're going through sort of the whole process. But it's kind of an exciting announcement. It could really shake up how our downtown looks and feels. Here's my question. So as I understand it, the tracks train that runs along Maine obviously would still run. Also, totally fine with that. I love the tracks train. But the cross street traffic all the streets that cross Main Street, that will continue. And for me, I feel like that's actually the most concerning bit as a pedestrian. It's not walking along Main Street where I feel least safe. It's crossing 2nd South, 1st South, 3rd South. I understand why they can't shut those down, right? Because they connect to other parts of the city. But to me, like, that's what would make this truly pedestrian friendly. I mean, I've been on pedestrian-only mean streets before where the way that they address that is it's pedestrian right-of-way basically forever. Like, there's no light. It's just people just go for it and they move and the cars have to abide. But yeah, you would have to train vehicles to abide. And I think that is one of the reasons that I think they're hiring a consultant and really like exploring this thoroughly is because there are logistics like that that are kind of concerning. I will say like we also can't assume that every business owner would be into this. Like if you're on that kind of north part of Main Street, it is pretty quiet up there. And I wonder how much traffic you do get if you're like a Three Pines coffee shop from people who kind of just do they pull in their car to like make a quick return at City Creek or or they're just driving up and they want to jump out and get a coffee or a pastry at Ava's or whatever and get back in the car and scoot away. Like the north part of Main Street is pretty quiet. Like we don't need a pedestrian only area in front of Cotopaxi after 6 yeah. p.m. Well, like, I mean, but if you also think about right? what's at the north part of Main Street, it's the temple, right? And I actually think that the yeah. <laughs> the church complex there would probably really benefit from having it be pedestrian only, especially come conference time two times a year, right? I mean, the streets are swarming with people during conference. This is true, Emily. And also given like the leaked plan for Temple Square that we all saw kind of floating around a couple weeks ago, which is quite extravagant um, for how they would like to convert that whole like... Mm top Mm -hmm. of Maine and South Temple, then those things could kind of blend together. Also, something we've talked about on this show in the past is like the controversial sky bridge that connects City Creek above the street and how like even though I think it's wildly romantic, urban planners kind of wince at it because they're like, why would you get people off the street? Like in what world? Yeah. And so would open streets maybe contribute to getting people back on the ground? I don't know. I will tell you. So 
the other news item that I mentioned that came along with this Open Streets announcement is that the city is starting a grant program for outdoor dining. And that's pretty cool because outdoor dining is definitely, as we come up here on the three-year anniversary of the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, outdoor dining has been a real result of the pandemic that we've seen and restaurants being able to spill out into the streets. And now the city's like, go for it. We love it. We want our restaurants spilling out into the streets. And we actually are creating a grant program in the amounts range, but around $10,000 to help you fund getting that set up permanently, a la, you know, Valters or the Alibi patio. So those are both exciting things as we head into the summer I will say my open streets dream, like the thing I would love to see tacked onto this proposal is, you know, the like free transit zone, how how the tracks is, you know how the tracks is free, like kind of shooting down (laughs) Main there. I would like if the free zone extended to ninth. To Central Ninth, girl, you're talking my language. You know you are. Yes, because the free fare zone ends at I believe courthouse. We need to go all the way to Central Ninth because they are building something really cool, those businesses. And like what I want to do is I want to get a beer at Water Witch and then I want to hop on the free tracks and shoot up to Main. Like if you could create a scenario where Main Street is communicating with Central Ninth in that way. Genius. Now we're cooking with gas. If we're, if they're not going to give us free fare forever, if the legislature is not going to give us free fare forever, at least extend the free fare zone. I mean, downtown is the most natural place to do that. Listen, it's good for business. How about that legislature? (laughs) Right. And we know that Salt Lake City's downtown alliance has said that that one of their goals for downtown is to create a 36-hour city instead of a, whatever, 12-hour city, right? So basically, like, right now, downtown feels like a place people go to work, and they want downtown to feel alive round the clock. Um, And so part of this proposal is also looking at the Gallivan Center and what we could change there. And I don't know. I love the idea that all these little like nooks in downtown will be kind of speaking to each other. That's my dream. Um, And I hope it's her. Beautiful. Brings a tear to my eye. Beautiful. All right. (laughs) Let's let's get get out out of here. here. Let's get out of here. What are you doing this weekend, Emily? Well, Allie, it is daylight saving time. But this is the good one for us, right? I mean, like for us, us summer girls... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> us people who do not thrive in winter. Um, so do not forget to uh, spring forward, set your clocks forward. This means that we get uh, we get more daylight, or it feels like we get more daylight. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a placebo effect, right? If I woke up earlier, I would get more daylight, but I don't do that. Yeah. Okay, my hairdresser at Lunatic Fringe, I love her, Brittany, but her grandmother is I think in her like 80s or 90s and she has this like kind of ranch in Utah and she does not participate in daylight savings time. So my hairdresser's grandmother is just like as an individual is staunchly opposed to the idea. She does not participate. So they as a family have to to refer to her house as (laughs) yes they refer to her house as ranch time and she's like we have been in so many family fights because like someone oh got God. ranch time wrong and like we're meeting at grandma's at six, but is it five or is it seven? I don't know. Depends on the time of year. Like, and I am just obsessed with like, first of all, I hope when I'm that age, I throw down the gauntlet that hard to where I'm like, I'm in my own time zone now, actually world. Real missed opportunity to not call it GMT grandma meantime. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
This weekend, I also want to say there is a cool thing that the county library is doing. They are doing a teen formal wear swap. Of course, cool. prom is on the horizon and prom is expensive. It is expensive for everyone. It is very expensive for a lot of young people who want to participate in the tradition, but it feels like every year prom gets more and more out of hand. I one time had a student that I mentored at a previous job call me and ask if I would give them $2,000 for prom. And I was like, if I had it, I would. But also prom is going to cost you $2,000. Like, Why? For what? Yeah. Yeah. She was like, Miss Allie, can I have $2,000? And I was like, for what? And she was like, for the prom. And I was like, God help us. So Salt Lake County is doing a prom, basically dress swap. And guess what? If you've ever been a bridesmaid, you're holding on to a prom dress. It's as good as a prom dress. So bring down whatever taffeta, bring down former bridesmaids dresses. If you've got something really fun, um, bring it down to the county library Saturday tomorrow from 11 to 1 p.m. It's the county library in Taylorsville that's doing the teen formal wear swap. It's at 4870 South 2700 West. And um, yeah, participate in helping ensure that all of our neighbor girlies can look their absolute best in their prom photos. What else this weekend? Oh, yeah. Good luck to the Real Salt Lake team. Their home opener is Saturday night. Get it. They're playing Austin. So, and apparently there's a major club announcement happening two hours before the game, which is probably going to be the announcement of the return of the Royals women's team. But um, I'm going. Allie, you should take the train there. You should take the train there. Are you going to do it? I'm going to. It's actually I'm gonna, a great ride. Yeah, I'm going to do really it. I really like taking the train down there. Well, I don't have a car, so. <laughs> well, enjoy your travels right. uh, and uh, enjoy the game. Sounds good, Emily. I will see you Monday. See you Monday. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our lead producer is Emily Means. Our producer is Ivana Martinez. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria, and our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria. We will be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Have a great weekend.